What's up? It's Delaney, and I'd love to invite you to become an honorary co-host of the Self-Helpless Podcast. Do you want to pick episode topics and guests? Done. Want to surprise your loved ones with shout-outs on the show for a birthday, project launch, a much-needed divorce? Whatever you're up to, would love to be a part of the celebration. Get your favorite and least favorite quotes featured on the podcast, submit questions for our special guests, and find lots more new features and surprises at patreon.com slash selfhelpless. You'll also get added to our patron insider email list to easily redeem rewards via a quick email reply because we know hanging out on Patreon isn't everyone's thing. You can also opt out of emails if you prefer to be a silent supporter of the show. And don't worry, we do not Scrooge McDuck these contributions. 100% of proceeds go directly to operating expenses that make this weekly podcast possible and available to all. Learn more at patreon.com selfhelpless or simply click the link in this episode's description. Thank you for helping me fill the void of being the last standing host of the Self Helpless Podcast. Thank you so much. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Can you help? Can you help me? Can you help? Can you help? Can you help me? Can you help? Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Self Helpless Podcast. I'm Delaney Fisher and Kelsey Cook is not able to make it today, but I am joined by an incredible guest, Jessica Parafich. Jess is a sex educator and intimacy coach and the host of the Amorosa podcast, which is available in English and Spanish. And during this discussion with Jess, we talk about consent, purity culture, asexuality, orgasms, why and how getting in touch with our desire and pleasure and nurturing our relationship with self-intimacy is a form of activism and so much more. So without further ado, here is Jessica Parafich. Jess, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so happy to have you. As you might know, we like to kick off the show with a quote, a favorite quote, least favorite quote, whatever you have. So I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to you. Yes. So I'm, it's really hard for me to make decisions, but this one was an easy one. Yeah. It says, there is no way to repress pleasure and expect liberation, satisfaction, or joy. And that is by Adrienne Marie Brown from Pleasure Activism, The Politics of Feeling Good. Mm. What does that quote mean to you? Sure. Um, well, I guess for me, what it means is, you know, I, in my experience and in the experiences that I hear from friends, family, and clients, we live in a culture that really represses pleasure in the widest sense, right? Like even things like, you know, guilty pleasures or, you know, policing the foods that we eat, all of these ways that we can experience pleasure um, are kind of like looked down upon in many ways or only okay within certain contexts. And so 
really centering pleasure and working against that, you know, repression that we might feel really opens us up to joy and satisfaction and liberation. And I think what the quote really points to is how can we expect to have joy in our life if we are repressed, you know, in terms of our pleasure, whether it's because it's actively being done to us right now, or because it's kind of the echo that has been left behind growing up in this society and in this culture. And now we are kind of, you know, repressing ourselves potentially. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. That's so fascinating how the repression of, of into our pleasure is more than just intimacy that it, that it bleeds over into other areas of our life, like food and guilty pleasure, TV shows, even like all these things that are kind of deemed as like, I don't know, bad or negative or, you know, don't overindulge. So that's really fascinating. So I would love to know what led you to getting into this work as an intimacy coach and sex educator? Yeah, well, it's interesting to be in this position now because growing up, I actually wanted to be a nun, a Catholic nun. really went on the other end of the spectrum, huh? Totally. And like, it's so funny because I can, and I totally do have like stories of how like they gave us like just really like fear-based like sex education and it wasn't, you know, great, but there was one nun that I told, you know, I want to like be like you, like when I grow up and she did say, that's great. You should live life first. You should fall in love. You should travel. You should have a lot of sex. And then if you still want to be a nun, then go for it. And I was like, hell yes. Like, I am so good. That's my path. Like, I'm going to do all these things and then go for it. And I don't think that's in the cards for me, I think. (laughs) Oh, my God. Wait a minute. So is that the route she took? Is that what like her background was like? If I don't know. I don't think, I think like when she said that, I was so surprised. Like, I think I was just like a little bit of a mic, like drop moment where I'm like, did she really just say that? And it just like, I never asked her. So it could have been, or maybe like, you know, if she would have done it again, maybe that's what she would have chosen. Who knows? Right. Maybe there's like a little bit of regrets in there. Maybe <laughs> her way of vicariously living through you. That is fascinating. Why, why is it important for women to get in touch with our desire and our pleasure? Great question. And I definitely want to start by, I guess, giving my example of, or not example, but my definition of desire and how I work with that word is I use desire really, really broadly. So I first became a sex educator in 2017. And that was when I was working for a luxury sex toy brand. And it was no accident that I like made it there, but I had no background in it. Mm. My background was in environmental justice, organizing and advocacy. So I was doing campaigns to ban fracking, doing campaigns for climate justice, doing drought resilience research. Like that was, you know, my, my focus. I was always very social change oriented, but at a more macro level. Yeah. Um, So I was just really interested in sustainability and how marginalized communities are affected most. And so did that for many years. And then I started to experience like activist burnout because I had no boundaries. I just, I would work. And then also like my, a lot of my friends were into, you know, other projects or, you know, maybe more heavily involved in a certain movement. And I had a really hard time saying no when they would ask me to show up for an action or to, you know, whatever the case was, I, I wanted to be there. I wanted to show up and, and it got difficult, you know, there's a limit. And so once I came to terms with that, um, I made 
a slight pivot into community wellness. And I started to basically volunteer my, my time to this healing collective in Oakland, which is where I was living at the time, where they would put together, you know, practitioners of all kinds, acupuncturists, um, therapists, uh, massage therapists, all kinds of folks, and they would provide free services. And I thought that was amazing. And I was just helping with the translation of Spanish to English. Like if there was a Spanish speaking person that didn't speak English and they wanted to see a practitioner, I could be that bridge. So that was really fulfilling. And because I was working in these areas where we may not see the result we want, you know, maybe we're trying to ban fracking, like, but at the time I was super young, impatient, super idealistic. And so I just felt like I want to see the fruit of my labor. Yeah. And massage was like the way that I went with that. Like I, I, out of all the things that I was seeing, I'm like, I really want to work with my hands. I really want to learn how to do massage therapy. So I went to school, learned it, got my certification. And in that process, I started to really connect to the importance and just learning about the body and trauma and, and being informed. Of, of course, I wasn't a trained mental health you know, therapist to deal with it if it came up, but we do carry it in our bodies. And oftentimes, you know, we may just be working on a shoulder and somebody might get triggered. And so learning how to navigate that really just showed me the importance of consent and really showed me the importance of the kind of culture that we lived in when it came to like our bodies and, you know, and sex and sexuality and, and all of that. And I just kind of, as someone that is really connected to kind of following my passion and, and maybe that's like part of the, what I grew up with. And, and I don't know if really that's like the best case to like take a look at work, but Either way, I've always been someone that is really interested in just like following my curiosity. And so from there, I really connected to, I want to work on, you know, sex positive sex education, because I know that that's not the education that I received. And I felt really connected to the sex positive movement, even though now I'm a little bit, you know, not critical, overly critical, but I do think that there have been some missteps along the way that I definitely took as well. Can you expand on that a little bit? How do you feel like the sex positive movement has affected your work or just our society at large? Yeah, well, I think it's really interesting because it has like, you know, some pretty, you know, extensive roots. I learned about it probably like in my 20s when I was trying to navigate, like, how do I want to move through relationships? But once I started to get my training as a sex educator, I learned that it's actually that that term and that movement has been around since the 1920s. So mm. it's about 100 years old. Oh, wow. And yeah. And it's just, it kind of like then made sense when I learned about it. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, like I've heard about the roaring 20s and right. at least in movies and other media, we see how like, there's a little bit of sexiness associated with it. So flappers and stuff, right? That was, <laughs> yes. Okay. That's, and I'm not, I'm not much of a history buff, but I do know a flapper when I see one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that was like, you know, indicative, right. In the fashion of how like it was relaxing for women, right. Like instead of, you know, whatever the dresses were like at the time, they were showing a little bit more legs. So there was a little bit more of a relaxation when it came to attitudes around sex yeah. and over the course of time, it continued changing. So we also see like the free love movement of the sixties and, and all of that. And so it's changed over time. And I know for me, because I definitely grew up in just that very like Catholic, like strict puritanical, like purity culture was just like, 
so front and center for me that yeah. that that was the experience that I grew up with. And so I I really gravitated towards like these authors and activists that were doing a bunch of work around sex positivity. And I still really respect a lot of what has been accomplished and a lot of the work that I've done. But also, I think it's interesting how when you know, there's a movement against something, right? So like against like the sex negativity and the repression and like this this idea of sex needing to be, which it, it varies place to place, but for the most part, at least here in this country, has a lot of puritanical roots um, and patriarchy is like front and center. It's... <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. For the most part, if you are interested in queer sex, if you're interested in non-monogamous sex, or if you're interested in sex outside of marriage, there is a certain level of deviancy that's associated with that in most places. And I think, yes, with time, it's changing. So part of that change has come through that activism, right? And so I think in the push against that and trying to own our sexuality and like, you know, be really like liberated with it. It sometimes along the way has stepped on folks where it's like, well, I want to also be more private about it. I don't need to like wave that flag if I don't want to. Like that oh, isn't a yeah. for me. Like it kind of overcorrected in a sense to where now people are kind of maybe feeling shame around not being like, I don't know, more open with sex or or like, I don't know, outwardly sex positive. I don't know. I don't know what the, the term would be, but that makes a, a lot of sense. What are your thoughts on purity culture? I would be fascinated to hear how you feel about that, especially being raised Catholic. What has your experience been? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was intense. I'm I'm not Catholic anymore, but um, I mean, I was... Also, I'll just share a, a quick story. When I was 13, so I went to school also in Mexico and I grew up in TJ, so it's on the border. So we would cross the border sometimes for um, different field trips. So we had this uh, field trip to Six Flags and I did have a boyfriend at the time, but it was a really innocent puppy love relationship. We ended up going on some ride that involved water at the very end of the day. So we were wet. We're waiting for the bus and we're just really cold. So we're like kind of huddled up together. Like, you know, I don't recall like it getting like it wasn't steamy at all. I just remember being close to my boyfriend and the nuns just like coming straight at us and scolding us. But they scolded us at the same time. But then on our way back home, 
I was forced to go in the school bus with like younger kids and was made as an example. So I was publicly shamed. Oh my gosh. For what? Like kind of snuggling with my boyfriend and nothing happened to him. And then when we got to TJ and got back home, um, the nuns kind of held me in detention. So they forced my dad to come and get me and to kind of like tell, tell on me and say that like, you know, your daughter was, you know, canoodling with her boyfriend and it's so improper, but he thankfully had my back. I thought I was kind of afraid in that moment. I definitely had just all this fear running through my body. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to get in trouble. And my dad was like, well, where, where is he? And did he get commanded or talked to or no? Yeah. Wow. So I didn't get in trouble with my dad, but like that was a really early on experience at 13 and like more things like that happens like in school where it's these, and, and in this case, I was mostly women really reinforcing these ideas of like, every everything that we did like even things like oh we're developing breasts now and like we're a lot of times we weren't even sexualizing ourselves like we're just our bodies are changing we're not aware of whatever and it's like improper so this idea of like shaming women at least in this context of this catholic purity culture that now that i've talked to other clients has been you know we see it in, in in other backgrounds as well and it just leads to a lot of shame because by the time that we're adults, it's like, if we've been told that like, we have to repress ourselves, we can't even be curious about our bodies or about relationships, but then there's this expectation. And oftentimes in this kind of purity culture, there's an expectation of getting into a relationship, the kind of relationship escalator, getting married, having kids. Mm -hmm. And so at that point you're supposed to what, like be totally in touch with your sexuality when you've been taught this whole time that you shouldn't be like, Those are impossible standards. And so they do affect people, even if they're no longer in that environment, even if, you know, they're no longer even identified with that religious background, it has like deep effects. Absolutely. So then do you think that women getting in touch with their desire and pleasure and developing that relationship with themselves, do you think that is a form of activism in a way to do so? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, And I think it definitely can look many different ways. I know for me, that's that's how it felt when I started to get into sex education, because I already came from that environmental justice, like activist background. And I kind of infuse that into my massage therapy work as well of holding like community healing clinics and like offering services at sliding scale, like that idea was always there. And so when I started to really connect to the idea of we don't live in a culture, you know, of consent. And at that point I was in my late twenties and I'm like, I'm in my late twenties and I'm still struggling in relationships where it seems like all the right words are exchanged. It seems all fine. And then somehow I'm being slut shamed in my relationship in some kind of way, which like fortunately hasn't been a pattern that has held up, but I was just kind of shocked by that. And so from that, like almost advocating for myself and my experience, I felt like, yes, like getting in touch with my pleasure, like it shouldn't be activism, but it is in this world. Right, right. And so what would what would a culture of consent look like? Like if everything went right and somehow shit changed uh, massively, what would what would that look like for all of us? I think that it would, it begins before we even talk about sex. Um, So it would really be with pretty much everything that we do. Um, 
it means talking about it with your kids. And like I said, it doesn't have to do with sex. So it's about like, can I hug you? Letting kids know that like right. they like own their bodies, right? And then they can, they also need to respect other people's bodies too. And so, you know, there are so many examples where this is being done and has been done um, in different educational settings. And it really does have great results because if we don't start the conversation of consent until, you know, a teenager is going through this, if they probably are going to have a hard time with that, if they haven't been advocating for themselves and communicating when like, you know what, I'm not, I don't feel like doing X, Y, Z thing, or no, I don't want to hug right now. If they're not practiced in that, when they're in the moment, it can be really hard for them to communicate. Wait, how do I actually feel? Do I actually want this? And that's really important because oftentimes in, you know, the the sex positive movement there is this idea of enthusiastic consent and that's great and all but not everybody is going to be able to show up in that way and give enthusiastic consent and so also championing that idea really throws a lot of people under the bus that might freeze in the moment or that maybe they do consent to, to sex let's say someone that typically doesn't enjoy sex necessarily for pleasure, maybe somebody in the ACE spectrum, but that really wants to have a kid naturally and they are totally down and consent to having sex for reproductive purposes. So the idea of like enthusiastic sex, yes, like, you know, which resonated with me and I'll own that, like that's what resonated with me and where I started, but being now in the sex educator community, working with people with intimacy, sexuality is so much more varied than I ever thought. It's so much more beautiful than I ever thought. And it gives us so many more choices into how we want to be with other people. And so, yeah, um, yeah, I think that's what it would look like. A culture of consent would mean we're, we talk about it from a really early age and we understand that it's not just focused around sex. I think that, oh, wow, that is such a good point as like my mind is being blown a lot right now but I think it's fascinating because I think me personally I always consider okay consent is like something I don't know you it's more of an adult idea to me like Mm -hmm. and and the idea of kind of bringing it into starting as a kid just talking about ownership of your body and you get to make decisions about your body I mean I remember being as like a kid um you know, being forced to like hug people I didn't want to hug that I didn't know and, and stuff like that. Or just even like, I don't know, somebody putting me on Santa's lap. Like, I don't want to be on this fucking guy's lap. I don't know who this, <laughs> you know, this is. I'm four years old. Um, so I think it's fascinating that it can start with something that I don't know, isn't an inherently sexual in a way that, you know, consent is, is more than just that. I would love to know how you feel if you're comfortable speaking on this. Um, the consent around, uh, I guess, social media and like kids on social media and how that plays a role into everything. And I'm not trying to shame anybody who puts children on social media or anything like that. I think it's just part of our, our culture. And, you know, we like sharing our families and stuff. But do you think that is going to play a role? And I know that social media is relatively new. But do you think that's going to play a role in children's lives and teens as they grow up with kind of, I don't know, like being being on display from a very young age? That's such an excellent question. And like, I think so. You know, I think so. And I have seen 
a few examples of children already talking to their parents about this issue and like how oh, that's really? navigated. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Because social media is new, but it's been around long enough that some kids have grown, grown up with it. Yeah. Well, some kids that maybe, yeah, they, they were, I don't know, five years old when their parents first started, you know, using social media and, you know, and now they're maybe coming, I don't know, like in their prepubescent or maybe their teens. And like, now they have a bit, a better sense of like what social media actually means and maybe not wanting to be on it. So I've seen these conversations happen. Um, I don't really know because, you know, like what the right or wrong answer would be of how to navigate that, because I do see so many of my friends, I don't have children at this time. So I can empathize with like wanting to share, you know, your family and like, you know, being like happy about it. But when I think about the fact that I didn't grow up with social media, I personally feel really happy that like my image wasn't out there when I was younger because we do have these conversations, right. As adults of like asking for consent of like, Hey, like, can I post this picture? You know? And I think that that's like super healthy. And so it kind of would make sense to have these conversations when, you know, when you're talking to your kids about it and, I guess for me too, I think about, there was actually this really interesting video where three different kids were talking about this with their parents. And one of them, she was pretty young. I don't know how old she was, but um, maybe like six, six to eight. It's hard for me to say, but definitely like not a teenager. And her biggest issue was, if you were to ask me, I would feel okay. I would feel better. Like I'm not opposed to you posting pictures of me on social media, but I want to know before you post it. This is a pretty young kid that understands like the importance of consent. And so I think that, you know, we see it time and time again, that these, you know, kids are not too young to start to understand this. And honestly, like we keep them safer by starting to practice that at, at an early age. Right. Wow. Thank you for answering that. I know that can be kind of a touchy, you know, question and and something to comment on. So I really appreciate it. Is there a common theme you've discovered among your clients? I I have. um, And I think, you know, it's interesting because I'm sure that I end up attracting or I resonate with people that maybe have had a very similar experience to mine. And when I kind of, you know, connect with other sex educators, you know, sex therapists and, and other coaches, you know, there are a lot of similarities, but also like specific issues that maybe other folks go to them, whereas not so much with me. So it really kind of depends, but something that is always there is shame, like hands down in some way, because whether it's, you know, someone that's in the sense at the top of the totem pole of this patriarchy, there's still a lot of pressure on cis men to always be interested in sex, to like always perform. And that's a really unrealistic expectation to have. And I mean, yeah, if someone, if that's their reality, I'm not, I'm not knocking it down and saying that that isn't true, but whatever our sexual interest is or levels of desire that we have, um, or even like what turns us on will likely change over a lifetime. That's just really normal, really natural. There's nothing wrong with that. And so even someone like that, that gets to benefit mostly from all of these systems, um, you know, still ends up getting a lot of pressure. So what does that mean for everyone else that is not a cis man, you know, especially like a cis, like straight white guy, like everyone else that falls outside of that, you know, ends up getting hurt usually in some kind of way. And so 
that sense of shame of not being able to live up to a certain standard is really common in my sessions. So, and what I really like to focus on is just a lot of self-compassion because that's where we're going to be able to really start to almost melt it away, you know, and like not add shame on top of shame. Like, oh, I'm so ashamed that I'm so ashamed at this. I should not, you know, it's like, it gets me so much. And so just being really gentle and having a lot of self-compassion and, and, and I think that that really allows a person to also be more compassionate with others too, when they start to see like, wow, like I grew up in this culture that said X, Y, Z thing. And like, I've been hurt in these ways because of it. Now I'm able to see how other people are hurt by it too. And so then I can maybe engage in a different way when certain things are talked about, because even though we live in a society that has all of these kind of negative connotations around sex and, and at the same time, it's like hypersexualized and sex, we do talk about sex, whether it's in a really right. negative way or not, it's always talked about. And so I think in those ways, we start to kind of change the narrative too, you know, and that was a really big learning point for me, because even though I understood myself as someone that was interested in sex, was interested in relationships and could feel like the slut shaming and like all of this pressure and like me working against it and being like really sex positive. I also saw how like, okay, that's true for me, but that's not true for like one of my best friends, maybe who's like totally not interested in sex. And this kind of narrative is not going to work for her. And it's only going to end up pressuring her into doing things that she doesn't want to do. And so that's also something that I see in, in my sessions is people feeling that they have to do something they don't actually want to do, which is why all of my work really goes back down to desires is like, what do you really want? Right. I definitely resonate with, I mean, I think everybody probably resonates with shame surrounding sex, but I know for me, and I've talked about this on the podcast before that I need like a lot going on to reach climax. I need like heavy machinery (laughs) to to do that. I mean, like it's, it's not something I, I, I don't really reach orgasm with a partner um, unless they're really committed to being there for a long time, or we bring like a a toy or something into the bedroom. But I remember feeling just yet kind of embarrassed or ashamed or like bad that I could not give that experience to a partner to where they are able to make me, you know, orgasm in that way. Um, and kind of just basically putting my pleasure like to the side, just to not make them feel bad. Um, or just like, Oh, we don't even have to, we don't even have to go there. Don't even worry about it. Let's just focus on you and then we'll be done with it. And I'll, you know, take care of myself later or something. But, um, I think it's interesting because, you know, now that I'm older, now I very much want to prioritize my pleasure too. And luckily I have a partner who's very open to bringing some stuff in <laughs> into bed with us, you know, but a lot of people, um, or, you know, in my experience, there's been some people that have been intimidated by that or felt like it was a challenge to try to get me there, uh, by themselves. And I listen, you're, you're going to be here all day. It's just not really (laughs) something that you can do. I'm sorry. Like I, you need to, you need to do something a very specific way that only I (laughs) can usually give myself. But I remember feeling a lot of just, 
I guess, nerves surrounding like being with somebody new and having to like explain that and then feeling like our our sex together, our time together wasn't like as magical as somebody else who could, you know, come at the drop of a hat. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I, I definitely resonate that with that a lot. And- okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And even now, as I've gotten a bit older, I quite enjoy the more kind of basic, boring, vanilla, you know, quote unquote, vanilla sex and have felt like, well, shit, should I be like doing some crazier stuff? I used to, I used to kind of experiment a little bit more, but now I find that I, I know it's, I've kind of, it's kind of hard to accept the fact that I just kind of like the basics. So thank you for just sharing that, um, you know, it, it, this can encompass everybody's, you know, desire and pleasure. And even if it feels like there's a lack of desire sometimes that like, that's okay. That's part of sexuality. Something that we've touched on, uh, on this podcast before, but we haven't really gone into much detail about it, but I know it's piqued a lot of interest, uh, with our listeners is asexuality. And so I was wondering if you can kind of expand on what is asexuality? What does that look like for people? I'm sure you've worked with people who identify as asexual. And if you can just speak to that. Sure. Um, And I want to thank you for sharing your parts of your story because that resonates with so many people. And there's so much to unpack there. I kind of want to go into it, but I I will. (laughs) (laughs) Please coach me. I mean, because, yeah, it's it's interesting because there's like a few pressures at play with that, right? So it's like the pressure you're feeling to please your partner. Yeah. There's the pressure that, which I mean, it's, it, again, it goes to this thing of we, we see a problem. So the orgasm gap, you know, in terms of heterosexual relationships where men tend to have an orgasm and women don't tend has been well-researched and documented. And so then when that conversation is brought into the table, a lot of, you know, men, a lot of cis men that want to, you know, not do that, not be a part of that statistic. They want to please their partner. Then it's like that overcorrectingness, but then that puts pressure on you. And I know that I can say for me, like there's nothing more unsexy than, and this is for me again, a lot of (laughs) if it works for you, it works for you. So if someone telling someone else, like, come for me, come for me, I want you to come for me. That's going to get them off. It's going to make them feel connected. Great. Go for it. Right. For me, someone like rushing me to come like is so unsexy because for me I'm like this is not for you like this orgasm is about me like it's about and it's kind of like from and I have had a variety of partners you know and good and bad experiences 
And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, it's great when someone really wants to be able to give me pleasure. And I do not like it when it's that other dynamic of like, oh, sex is over. If I'm having sex with a guy, like, oh, sex is over when he's done. And like, I was just kind of turned on like a machine and then just kind of left running. And it's like, wait a minute, is nothing going to happen after? But at the same time, it's like that the, the orgasm is about you and you know your body best. And so taking that pressure off too, that your partners are not. And that's in general, like, it's great that we can satisfy our partners that we can really like make them feel juicy and give them orgasms and all of that. But I think in some way, a lot of this work is about like neutrality and acceptance. So yes, let's prioritize orgasms for the people that want to have orgasms. And we can talk about that, but also take the pressure off of that because I do work with a lot of people that think that there's something wrong with them because either they can't have an orgasm or because it takes them too long to have an orgasm or because they're not squirting or just like all of these other things right and so just really taking that pressure off and I think that it sounds like you are really great at communicating with your partner or you know partners in the past of like that's not going to work for me and like this is how I get off and like that being okay and that they're not failing so I just wanted to say that before we go into asexuality thank you I appreciate it yeah it it definitely took a a long time to get here and (laughs) to be honest I feel like I uh I started off on a pretty good foot with my you know my current partner Cam who's my fiance because like I didn't really plan on dating him for real (laughs) I just like we, we kind of just started off very casual kind of like hookup buddy stuff so I was like I don't really care what this guy thinks I'm I'm whipping out my giant vibrator giant huge <laughs> huge piece of equipment that's basically you know our third it's our it's our unicorn I guess if you will but um yeah and so it kind of just started off with like he just knew about it and I didn't really give a shit but I think if I had gone into the relationship with holy shit, this might be my husband one day. I don't know if I would have been as candid about that, which is kind of weird. But I think that candidness led to a very authentic relationship. So kind of a weird experience there. But anyway, asexuality, let's hear about it. (laughs) So um, yeah, asexuality is part of the human sexuality spectrum. And specifically, there is the ace spectrum. So that includes people that are asexual. It includes people that are aromantic and, you know, and if, and a few other labels as well. And within asexuality, there can also be some differences, people that are sex repulsed. So these are folks that are not interested in sex, kind of have an aversion, would never want to have sex. But there are a lot of asexual people that, and I think this is where a lot of the misconception is, is that they don't have sex or or don't want to have sex. And what a lot of asexual clients tell me is that they don't experience sexual attraction to another person the way that allosexual people. So, you know, it sounds like you and I are allosexual. We do experience sexual attraction to others. Right. for them, it's not about that, but, you know, just like to use your example um, of the unicorn in your relationship, <laughs> um, you know, for most people, when they're using sex toys, they're not sexually attracted to their toy. The toy is a vehicle. It's a tool. It's, you know, something that they get to play with that brings them a lot of pleasure. So a lot of asexual people do masturbate. They do experience sexual pleasure and are interested in have a libido, like all of that. They just aren't attracted to another person like sexually. And Ah, 
Yeah. And like, it's interesting in general talking about sexual fluidity and how that can change. So I have seen some clients where it's like, I really identify with being like asexual in this way. And actually there's a little bit more of like gray sexual, like I, I am feeling sometimes attraction or not. And so what I've unfortunately seen also just out in the world when I've been giving workshops and things like this is people kind of I don't know, like putting down all of these labels and like, why do we have to have all these labels? And I, in some ways, I totally empathize with the folks that have a hard time, like finding a label and like wanting to own the label for many reasons, right? Like maybe they are not safe or not in a situation or community where they would be safe to be out. But also maybe it's just their sexuality has shifted a little bit and it's, they've known themselves for so long in this way. And maybe they're just not ready to put it on and maybe nothing really aligns. And I know that I had that experience once I realized, you know, I'm not as straight as I thought I was. And it's like, well, what labels do I have to put on and and all of that? So I understand that labels are not going to fit everybody, but they also offer a lot of community and belonging to a lot of people where they don't have that acceptance in the society. And so they are extremely important and valid and part of the conversation. And like, they're part of our community. They're part of our like society. So in order to have, you know, the culture of consent that we want in order to have like just strong relationships outside of what we're, you know, the juiciness of romantic and sexual like connections, it's really important to validate that. And to talk about like how, you know, it can be so different. And it's, it's, I think a beautiful like recognition to make that, oh, there are as many sexualities as there are human beings. So mm. yeah, but, but yeah. That's I think a what, quotable what, right there, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, a lot of my clients that, that do struggle with coming to terms with asexuality, I have found is, this, this pressure, like they didn't maybe understand that that was even something that existed. And so they kind of always grew up feeling like, you know, maybe something's wrong with me, maybe I'm broken. Or I've had also, um, you know, folks say there's this kind of patronizing, like, sentiment of like, oh, you'll grow into it, almost like kind of infantilizing people like, oh, like, this is just a phase or it's not real, which we tend to see in a lot of other queer sexuality um, identities as well, you know, and over time, as we've made more progress, there's been more recognition that no, bisexuality is not a phase, like, you know, all of these things, like this is real, and asexuality, the spectrum, is totally real and valid, and so I just think the more space that we make for it, the healthier relationships in general we get to have, and it's not just about, like, the sexual romantic relationships that we have, but it's also about, like, you know, with our family members with our um friends like how many times has someone heard I know like for me I've heard so many times like when are you gonna have kids which is a whole other you know other podcast episode (laughs) yeah but it's like with if somebody like is totally like maybe sex repulse is not interested in, in having children where it's like man like why am I getting all this pressure constantly you know so the recognition of like instead of just having all these assumptions being able to kind of from the get-go understand like there are all these possibilities. And so because I care about this person or I care about like building a a relationship with this person in some way, maybe it's just as a friend, is really just letting them speak for themselves and really trusting that they're being authentic. Yeah, absolutely. Have you have have you found or you know with with people who identify as asexual, 
do they obviously like I imagine they still crave companionship even if it's not sexual is that right or like would they want a life partner or a partner in some way just not the sex part I mean, yeah, it really varies, you know, person to person. But yeah, a lot of people that are asexual are still alloromantic or they still experience romantic attraction and want a romantic relationship. And so that is something that, you know, is seen a lot. Um, There are also a lot of people that are both aromantic and asexual, but, you know, platonic love still exists. And that's a huge piece that I wish that as a culture we valued more is just platonic love. Like, some of the people that I love the most in my life that have changed my life, like it was not romantic love and it was not sexual love. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. There's that stigma that like men and women can't be friends and all that because one of them wants something else. And like, yeah, that that's an interesting point is like, that is not, not always the case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, when people say like, you know, the cliche of like love is love. I, I, I just hope that over time we get to have like the, true like expansive definition of like all the loves that we can have in life and so yeah a lot of people that maybe don't experience romantic attraction or sexual attraction may still have like really intense you know lifelong platonic loves of their life and you know this is another discussion but it's interesting how people that are couples people that are married do have more privileges in the society than people that don't so if somebody you know yes maybe someone wants to get married but they they don't have sex and they're completely happy like having a and it's funny cuz like typically when people talk about a sexless marriage is seen in a negative way as if something's wrong but like so many people are happy in sex, sexless marriages okay. so there's that piece. Um, but what about the folks that either aren't married, don't want to be married, you know, like all these things, but they are not afforded the same protections that other people get to have because of that, like legality of it all. So, so yeah, I mean, and I've even also seen people that are both like one person is sexual, allosexual, and the other person is asexual and they work it out. Like the possibilities really are so endless and I think that's like the biggest piece of my work and even on a personal level that I get to benefit from too is taking away all these pressures all these like scripts and narratives and really crafting your own are there any practical tips that you can share with me with our listeners that will help us or that might help us just deepen this connection with ourselves is there anything we could do rituals or I don't know any habits we can form. Yeah. Yes. Um, there are so many, and I think like, you know, for, for all of us, different things end up resonating, right. If, if some of us are a little bit more, um, I don't know, like more intellectual, a lot of us are a little bit more like body-based, so it'll vary. But what I really like to do in sessions and what I recommend clients is to really drop into a space of without the noise, like without everything that you've been told is, and especially because this is all about, I do talk a lot about pleasure, is thinking what is like either the hottest sex you've ever had, your hottest sexual fantasy, or if you're not interested in sex or are sex repulsed, like some other like just really relaxed, juicy, I feel at peace, I feel good in my body, experience that you can think of and then really like being super detailed about it and sometimes we do that in sessions but they can do this like you can do it journaling you can you know do a little like voice recording 
and just really peel back and see like, what are the themes here? What are the feelings that are coming up? And so once you get more connected to that, which would be like your core desires, then you can really start to see how you can invite that in your day to day and then incorporate it into your rituals. So maybe something, you know, a core desire for somebody might be, I want to feel really beautiful. Like when I, you know, have sex or when I'm like in, in, in relationship and that, that may not be like physical beauty, right? It can be like this feeling of like the way the sunlight is beautiful or a song is beautiful. Like some things aren't tangible and are still beautiful. So being able to connect to that and then kind of discovering like, when else do you feel that way? Is it when you take a hot shower? Is it when you're outside? So it's really expanding that, I guess, like capacity and that acknowledgement and focus of how can I expand my pleasure practice and thinking of it as a practice um, is my number one like tip, my number one go-to, something that I return to often when I start to disconnect from myself. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is just a reminder that, you know, this is a, you know, it sounds cliche, but it's a journey. Like there is you know, no pressure. Like you might feel like soup, you know, maybe you had a breakthrough, you're super feeling liberated one month and then the next month you feel totally out of it. And that's okay. Like right. that's probably going to happen. And so that's another big piece of the work is just basically being able to be present with yourself and accepting of the changes that you're going through and that there isn't a right or wrong here. Right. And so it's just like, it's almost like keeping the pulse to me staying connected to your desire is like keeping the pulse. So it's like, what do I need right now? And is that something that I do on my own? Is that something that I do in my relationships that I can ask for, for my partner? You know, I know we didn't talk about in this episode, but a lot of people that maybe are interested in non-monogamous relationships or, you know, kind of expanding their idea around like what monogamy like means or why is that important? Like just taking the pulse of like, what do I really want? out of life and like, how can I get it? And then we can go from there. I love that. That's awesome. I, I like this idea that um, there's there's little things that you can do every day to deepen that connection with yourself. And I, I was just kind of thinking about, yeah, what, God, what, what makes me feel good or feel beautiful or empowered? And I'm like, I love nothing more than taking a very hot bath or shower and then getting out of the bathroom and just putting on like a flowy kind of sundress and just walking around with like, air drying my hair, no makeup. And I'm like, I just feel, I don't know, fucking great when I, <laughs> when that's like part of my routine. And so I love that idea that it, it's not necessarily something that's directly related to, I don't know, physical sex. It's expanding that, that idea of pleasure. And I don't think that's really talked about enough. I think when we hear pleasure, desire, intimacy, we really kind of, I don't know, at least for me, our minds just kind of go to that one thing. And I like this. I think you've definitely broadened my horizons with this, uh, this episode. Absolutely. And um, is there anything else that you want to share about your work before we kind of wrap it up and do some segments together? I mean, I guess it's just that, you know, in my work, the, the focus of just like shedding shame and connecting to ourselves, like can impact so many other parts of our life, not just, you know, the focus is, you know, I started doing this work as a sex educator and intimacy coach, and that is like the bread and butter of what I do. But I often see how it just really kind of starts to 
influence the way that we get to live our lives. And so if we start to get more pleasure centered when it comes to these more intimate parts of our life, we get to just be in that mindset throughout. We get to be in that mindset when it comes to our work, when it comes to like what you're going to say yes to or no to, like really exercising consent and boundaries in these ways also affect these other parts of our lives. And so that is huge. Um, And also even after you've are at a place where, you know, I don't really think there's a lot of shame that I need to work through. Sometimes a lot of people just come to me because they want to try something new or a partner brought something else up or it's like, you know, I think this new side of me, like, for example, I've never really been that dominant in like relationships. And I've often felt that it was because of how I was socialized of like, men are the ones that pursue and like you kind of sit back right you know and it's like kind of like well maybe that that's just why I've gone in that direction but maybe that's what I like because I've, I've noticed that like I like when folks are more dominant with me regardless of their gender like it doesn't have to be just men like when someone else someone that's non-binary or a woman comes to me and like they're kind of dominant like I respond to that I like that but I'm starting to feel now like I kind of want to take that on. Like, I kind of want to experience what that's going to be like. So in my work, there's also so much space for that of just like thinking about like sex and pleasure and all these things like play and just like, what do you want to play with now is there doesn't have to be anything wrong. Like, let's just see like where you want to take things. So that's also super fun. Right. How it can, it can evolve during different seasons of your life, or you might go back to something that you used to like, or (laughs) I love that. I love that's awesome. Um, well, should we, uh, should we get into some segments? I don't, so what we do on the show, we sometimes have like, uh, a goal segment. If there's something that you've achieved recently that you're excited about or, uh, something self-care related. So if you have anything that you want to share, um, what happens in your day-to-day life? Well, so I guess when it comes to self-care, it's funny because in all of this talk about like sex and sexuality, I, I'm allo-romantic, I'm allosexual, so love to feel the romance, the sex, all that is great. But more than anything, if I had to describe myself, like, I feel like I'm a sensualist. Like, for me, like, I'm just really connected to my senses when I'm happiest. And yeah, that can lead into a sexual experience, either with myself or with someone else. But I just kind of sit in the sensuality throughout my day. If if I have the time and the space, you know, or if I'm not too stressed, yeah, I love to do that. So for me, that ends up looking like music. I I can spend like all day jamming to music and that really just like turns on my imagination and it goes to so many great places. But if I compare that with a hot bath and or a hot shower it's just like times a hundred and lately I've been using this sugar scrub from um this company called Nopalera and it's just amazing because it's also using the oil of cactus and cactus is like a huge plant especially for you know Mexicans like you know, I grew up eating cactus. It's just a big part of the, the symbol like of, of our culture, of our country. And so for me, it's like being able to connect to that too, like just has these other elements of just kind of connecting a little bit more like ancestrally, like sensually, like to plants. I don't know. So that's what yeah. I've been doing lately. Awesome. <laughs> you know what? I feel like we kind of talked about how, um, I don't know. My partner has been very supportive uh, in in my relationship, especially around sex and intimacy and what what I like and, and need. And so I figured I will um, 
support him with my segment for uh, what we call a good shit, which Cam, my fiance, launched a blog about movies. He's a big movie buff and he, he loves uh, he loves horrible, shitty movies. And so if you are interested in learning about which terrible movies he recommends you watching, you can go to romanticcomedy.com and check out <laughs> check out his blog. And uh, yeah, I, I, I guess that'll be my segment. <laughs> anyway, awesome. yes. So Jess, uh, thank you so much for coming on. This was eye-opening and I just feel like um, our listeners are really going to get a lot out of this. Where can people find you to continue these conversations? Yeah, I'm at madredemiel.com and madredemiel on Instagram. Um, I know it's kind of a mouthful. (laughs) 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 I'm picking that name. It's mother of money in Spanish. M-A-D-R-E-D-E-M-I-E-L. But yeah, Madre de Miel in most platforms. And I also host the Amorosa podcast. So that's also on all platforms. So type in Amorosa and you'll find me. And I just got on Clubhouse where I've been facilitating some conversations. I just did like this amazing, I don't know why or how it happened, but I was there two hours um, on Clubhouse talking about polyamory and open relationships and how that has played out in the Latinx community. And so I met yes underscore Jess. So I went a little bit more simpler on Clubhouse. I'm like, Madre de Miel is too much of a mouth. <laughs> okay. And also, do you have a coaching program that people might be able to connect? Like if they want your services, um, what would that look like? Yeah, folks can totally find my coaching services on my website, madredemiel.com. There's a coaching tab and I work with folks in a three-month program where we really dive deep and get to work on all the juicy pleasure-centered goals and desires that you have. So that's great. And then I also do artwork that's inspired by the erotics. So that will also be available there. Awesome. Yeah. Your art is amazing. I've seen some of it. There's one in the background too, I see. Um, Awesome. (laughs) Jess, thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day and uh, I will talk to you soon. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Wow, I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Jess as much as I did. I feel like I learned so much from that episode. And I just want to wrap it up with an iTunes review of the episode. This is from Freak for Sound. And it says, lots of advice and discussion. These three have a relaxed style. They are supportive of one another and also call out each other's crap. They are grounded and have good sense to admit they don't know everything, but they do have an opinion. I enjoy the nuggets of wisdom. They help me be a better ally for women in my work and professional life. Thank you so much, Freak for Sound. That is so very sweet. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Self-Helpless Podcast. As you know, uh, flying solo this episode, um, you know, as somebody who usually messes up our intro when it's <laughs> when it's something that I have to do by myself, um, I, to be honest, I was, I was pretty nervous to do this on my own. And uh, it's just a weird experience, you know, not having um, Taylor and Kelsey here and kind of like facing that fear or anxiety of mine head on. And so thank you for bearing with me because it's definitely not something that is within my comfort zone, which a lot of you know. Anyway, thank you so much for being here and we will talk to you soon. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Self Helpless Podcast. You can find our Patreon community, merch, and our individual work at selfhelplesspodcast.com. We'd be thrilled if you shared this episode with a friend or feel free to post it on Instagram and tag at selfhelplesspodcast so we can repost you and say thank you. Thank you.